Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the Book of Enoch, the Prophet. Continuation of the Summary Discussion of Part 5. God's Chosen Ones. Noah was a chosen one who saved the righteous and the innocents from the first destruction reset of the planet, and nobody ever said he was the Son of God. Moses was a chosen one who liberated the Israelites from the oppression of the Egyptians who worshipped false gods originating from the time of the Nephilim, and nobody ever said he was the Son of God. Jesus was a chosen one whose personal sacrifice will save the souls of the righteous from perishing in the apocalyptic fires of the second and final destruction of planet Earth. All people who say and believe that Jesus was the Son of God born of a virgin will perish for that insult. Noah was not the Son of God, but he saved many of his family and the animals. Moses was not the Son of God, but he delivered the Israelites from bondage. Jesus was not the Son of God, but he delivered the message of God's forgiveness and hope for eternal life. God chose all of these men for a special mission, but he did not impregnate a human female to give any of them life. They were all heroes among men who answered God's call, and their spirits existed with God before their birth because it is God's Holy Spirit that gives all creatures life. Noah had a physical resemblance to the Elohim, the Shining Ones, when he was born, and God imparted a greater portion of his Holy Spirit within Noah at birth. The same phenomenon of spiritual blessing occurred for Jesus, although there are no existing texts that describe Jesus as being born albino. It was not a requirement to be born as an anomaly to receive God's spiritual blessing at birth. At a minimum, the claim that Jesus was truly blessed with a greater portion of God's Holy Spirit at birth than other human babies is a reasonable, acceptable postulation. Enoch, Noah, and Jesus have specific written records validating that God transfigured them to have everlasting spiritual life. The written stories about all three of these historical persons and Elijah are documented occurrences of CE4 events. The descriptions of Elijah's transfiguration are not as clearly recorded in the Old Testament as they are in the events which occur in the book of Enoch the prophet for both Enoch and Noah. The greatest detail of transfiguration appears in the hearsay testimonies of Christ's disciples. The missing testimony is that of the actual witness, the apostle John. Hiding this testimony was the instruction God gave John because that enabled the concealment of Enoch and the punishment of mankind for the last 2,000 years. Elijah cowered in a cave until God called him to come out. While the scripture describes an extreme disturbance outside of the cave that can only be the holy conveyance arriving on earth, the event of transfiguration is not described in writing the same as it has been for Enoch, Noah, and Jesus. If Elijah was not transfigured after he came out of hiding, he was surely gifted with everlasting life when he ascended into the heavens in a whirlwind. The evidence that provides at least an acceptable conclusion that God transfigured Elijah to have everlasting life is that he later ascended into the heavens in a CE4 abduction event. See 2 Kings 2-11. through If the record of Christ telling his disciples that they knew Elijah as John the Baptist is actually true, then there is no practical reason to believe that Jesus' resurrection proved he was the Son of God. Elijah appeared as one of the two witnesses at Jesus' transfiguration after he was beheaded as John the Baptist. If the assumption of the sequence of these events is accurate in this case, then Elijah's presence as a witness to Jesus' transfiguration proved eternal life was possible to Jesus, who had known Elijah as John the Baptist. The author of the book of Revelation There seems to be two schools of thought regarding the identity of the man named John who wrote the New Testament book of Revelation. One group of scholars will insist that the person who wrote those prophecies was a man named John, who lived on the island of Patmos, but he was not the same man who was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Another group will maintain that John, who lived on Patmos, was the same person as the apostle. There does not seem to be any reasonable purpose for some unvetted person named John to prophesy what appears in the book of Revelation, and the truth of that man's identity is most likely that he was one of Christ's original disciples. The corroboration for this explanation is that the prophecy of the two witnesses may have actually been an alternate telling of the transfiguration event he witnessed when he was with Jesus. 
The description of events in the Revelation seems to be the opposite of what happened, if taken as having literal meaning, but rarely does a prophecy have completely literal meaning in its original form. It has been repeatedly stated and explained in this book that prophecy is an encrypted communication that requires decryption by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only those whom God chooses to know the true meaning of any prophecy will know it by the power of His Holy Spirit. Everyone else will know the meaning of the prophecy after it happens, because it no longer requires encryption for its protection from those who would endeavor to alter the predicted future events by intervening in a variety of ways. The purpose of decrypting a prophecy is not to allow prevention of the predicted events. The purpose of explaining a prophecy is to enable the righteous to prepare for the event by having faith, hope, and love. Knowing the actual identity of the man who wrote the Revelation in the New Testament is fairly irrelevant when considering the fact that much of what anyone really knows about something that happened 2,000 years ago has been intentionally obfuscated by heretics. It has always been the effort of pagans and heretical Jews to conceal the truth about Jesus Christ. The Romans increased the telling of the lies about Jesus because they could control the population with religion and also get people to pay a tribute, which became known as tithing in the New Testament. Of course, the entire concept of paying a tithe originated as a means of tax collection, but it also exists in Islam as the pillar of alms. An organized religion will always require financial support for its existence because it has no real ability to produce its own financial support. It is not wrong to help others, but it is completely blasphemous to teach that God requires all those who believe in Him to give money to the church as a sacrifice or tithe. God does not want mankind to make sacrifices. God wants love and acceptance of His eternal truth. The Eternal Truth Elijah's ascension into the heavens was an abduction in a fiery chariot that flew away in a whirlwind, which is obviously a figurative description of the space-faring holy conveyance. Elijah did not return to earth until several hundred years later as John the Baptist. Jesus intimated in secret to his disciples that Elijah was known to them as John the Baptist. Elijah's return fulfilled an important prophecy, and his return proved he was also transfigured with everlasting life. The gift of everlasting life is not the result of believing that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. See John 3.16. There are three CE4 occurrences prior to Christ's CE4 event, wherein those persons abducted were transfigured with everlasting life for their belief in Eloi, the Shining One. It cannot be stated for certain that the transfiguration event for Jesus was an abduction event because there is limited detail regarding any circumstances when Jesus might have disappeared from view when meeting with the two validating witnesses. Of course, it has already been explained that the eyewitnesses would most likely have been face down in the dirt during the entire event. It is at least widely agreeable to state that Christ's ascension after resurrection qualifies as a CE4 event. Jesus received everlasting life prior to being crucified, and this transfiguration occurred in the presence of two eternal witnesses. Receiving the gift of eternal life has nothing to do with a belief in the pagan ideology of virgin birth or son of God. Everlasting life is a gift God bestows upon a human spirit by transfiguration for that person's righteousness and true faith in the one and only God Almighty. All four documented occurrences of humans who received everlasting life from God Almighty during a CE4 event were persons who did not need to believe that Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son of God. All four humans that Eloi historically transfigured with everlasting life also knew that God does not impregnate human females with babies that become gods on earth. Murderers are not eligible for everlasting life, and God does not impregnate human females to make a baby God. The finality of antediluvian revelations presents to the reader an updated apocalyptic prophecy, which combines Enoch's prophecy, the prophecy within the book of Revelation attributed to a prophet named John of Patmos, who was most likely the Apostle John, and the author's words of prophetic revelation about the eternal truth. The reader now has a choice to make with respect to all of the evidence presented in this poetry and these discussions. 
accept the eternal truth or continue to believe the paganized Catholic lie. Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, nor was he born of a virgin, because the book of Enoch the prophet, which predates all other books of the Holy Bible, clearly demonstrates that God prohibited eternal beings from impregnating ephemeral human females. The prophecy of Isaiah explained. Such accusations of virgin birth and God making a baby in a human female are pagan myths inspired by those errant extraterrestrials who defied Eloy's commandment of non-interference with humanity's evolution. The virgin birth of a man who would be son of God is not aligned with Judaism, which was the faith of Jesus Christ and originated in Enoch's prophecies. The impregnation of a human female by God was the belief of Greek, Roman, and Sumerian pagans who were the descendants of the civilizations infected by the early visitations of errant extraterrestrials. The concept of virgin birth appears in the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14 as sarcasm for the purpose of admonishing the unfaithful, not as a prediction of the Messiah's true birthright. Even Jesus said he was a son of a man. Isaiah knew about the lies of pagan theologies because he lived in a time when there were many different religions. Isaiah did not exist in a vacuum where there were no other groups of people who worshipped false gods, and this passage refers to the pagan theologies of those other peoples. Isaiah sarcastically admonished his people about their lack of faith in the one true God who does not impregnate human females with babies that become gods. As a prophecy, Isaiah 7.14 was correct because it foretold that mankind would not believe in the Messiah unless he were born of a virgin. Humanity truly lacked the faith in an extraterrestrial originating supreme being, and Isaiah's prophecy was a criticism about mankind's ignorance and faithlessness. In this way only, Isaiah's prophecy has come to pass. Mankind refused to believe in the message of the Messiah unless people were made to believe he was born of a virgin. It is still possible to accept the message of Jesus Christ without needing to believe in all of those pagan lies about him. The message of Jesus Christ was to repent of pagan idolatry and believe in the one true God, the Holy Spirit. When Jesus returns to perform the task of Gabriel with the host of Elohim, he will reject all of those who insulted him by telling pagan lies about him. Jesus was the son of a man for a reason. He was a naturally conceived human being. Jesus is not God, nor Son of God. There is only one God, and the everlasting extraterrestrial originating Holy Spirit is his true form. Jesus was God's Messiah, the Chosen One, whose message was repentance and the hope of everlasting life, even unto death. Jesus did not speak the words of John 3.16 to Nicodemus, because that passage is an anachronistic psycholinguistic manipulation. The most famous scriptural passage in all of the New Testament is a pagan spell. There is absolutely no reason for Jesus to say that God gave his only begotten son when he had not yet been crucified, nor would he have ever exalted himself in that manner. The infamous passage in the New Testament is clearly an example of pagan editorialization that has cursed humanity for centuries. Jesus Christ was not the Son of God because he was a human being. Furthermore, Jesus did not die on the cross for the forgiveness of sin as if he were a pagan sacrifice. He was murdered by pagan Romans and heretic Jews because he had told them all that they should repent of their sins in the hope of inheriting everlasting life. Christians have used the pagan spell of John 3.16 to trick people into believing the pagan lie about Christ's birthright. All humans are God's children, and Jesus was not an only child. The only possible alternate understanding about Jesus being the Son of God is that God adopted him. But the truth is that God chose Jesus. The concept of adoption dates back to the 6th century A.D. in Roman law. Adoption is a completely human idea because God does not need to adopt anyone. 
Further proof that the New Testament is a fraud is knowing that there are three references to adoption in the New Testament, Romans 8.23, Romans 9.4, and Ephesians 1.5. These passages are further proof that much of the New Testament did not originate in the time of Jesus, nor were they written by his disciples. The concept of adoption did not appear in history until the 6th century A.D., so even the inclusion of Esther's adoption in the Old Testament has been an editorialization. See Esther 2.15. If God adopted Jesus Christ to be his son, then God has adopted all of humanity to be his children. God's adoption of a humanity seems to have been the thought of the person who wrote the letters to the Romans and the Ephesians. But those texts, based on paganism, were clearly written centuries after the crucifixion of Jesus because the concept of adoption in Roman law did not occur at the time of the crucifixion or earlier. Additional Considerations of Numerology Some of the enumerations in Enoch's prophecy represent the artistic quality of numerology in an ancient literary work in addition to the prophecy itself. Enoch is the seventh man from Adam in the first era, which becomes representative of the sequence as a whole. The first era began with extraterrestrial intervention, and the seventh era will end with extraterrestrial intervention. The editor of the 1883 edition tried to rearrange text in the original translation so that the eighth era previously mentioned in the fourth part would sequentially follow the seventh era in the unnamed editor's edition of the translation. The adjustment was only wishful thinking, because the eighth era does not happen for humanity the way it appears in Enoch's dream vision, which represented a possibility only. The adjustment the 1883 editor made in the reorganization of the text to place the eighth era immediately following the seventh era became impossible in the 20th century. This alteration of the prophecy does bring to light the proof of how the ancient text was not a fakery of made-up information pretending to be prophecy. While it was one unknown man's ambition to modify the original translation to propose what he believed was a correction to the ancient text, that simple effort was not going to change the future, which Enoch truly has foretold in the original text of his prophecy. The eighth era for mankind has not occurred because there has not been an era of complete peace and prosperity, and there was never going to be an eighth era because pagan Romans and heretic Jews murdered Jesus from Nazareth on the cross for preaching repentance and the hope of everlasting life. While God made it a possibility for an eighth era to occur should mankind repent, the history of mankind will end with the seventh era resulting in the genocidal annihilation of a sentient species that did not evolve as planned because of interference by a rogue, condemned species, herein referred to as the fallen angels or errant extraterrestrials. There may be more substance to many other published theories about an extraterrestrial species that have been attempting to communicate with humanity than may be fully known, however, there is no doubt that the evolution of humanity has been affected by more than one species of beings that did not originate on this planet. The purpose of this book. There are any number of possible arguments to oppose the material and discussions presented in this book, but it has been the author's consideration to address many of them throughout the discussions between the parts of the poem. The one fact made abundantly clear in this work is that the Holy Bible is a cursed book because it has been editorialized for centuries, so that it has become a complete fabrication of lies based on pagan understandings and superstitions. Admittedly, much of the content of these discussions has been based on theoretical explanations for the poetic interpretations of an ancient book of prophecy, which is not a magical power. Prophecy is simply a message relayed from an eternal spiritual entity through the mind of a man, and it is no different from any other communication model. There is the occurrence of interference or background noise, which are the thoughts from the prophet's own mind. It is with complete humility admitted here that there may still exist many errors in the understanding of all that has become this book and the retelling of the ancient story of Enoch, because there is more to the greatest mystery of mankind that anyone may ever completely explain. There will always be some details not addressed or made more understandable by this epic poem and these discussions. 
it has not been the author's purpose to merely entertain an audience, and there really can be no single purpose for this extensive effort. It was Fry who theorized the various purposes and components of epic poetry based upon studies of Tasso's works and others, and Fry's essays have always been the author's literary guidance during the creation of the poetry in this book. This book does not establish a doomsday cult or new wave religion. There is no intent to promote a place of worship, group of people to join up with, nor commitment to do anything that requires time, money, or effort to prove to anyone else a belief in the eternal truth. The eternal truth is not Antichrist, nor is it an Islamic ideology but it is clearly anti-Catholic. The purpose of this book is to reveal the truth of Jesus Christ because he was the Messiah, which everyone on earth needs to urgently know. Every person who reads this book will need to decide what his or her fate will be, and only God will be the judge. Salvation is not in words of faith alone. It is in the deeds of those who have true faith. It is not a matter of professing a belief that Jesus was the Son of God for the salvation of one's soul. It is the matter of truly accepting the message of eternal truth, which identifies the truth of Almighty God, Jesus Christ, repentance in the hope of everlasting life, even unto death, and that God is the Holy Spirit. The eternal truth is as follows. Eloi is God, the eternal shining one, extraterrestrial in origin and existing throughout all of the universe. God loves all of creation and wants mankind's love and reciprocity. God wants all of humanity to love one another equally and unconditionally. Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, nor was he God. Jesus Christ was the Son of a man, not the Son of a woman, a human virgin immaculately impregnated by God. Jesus Christ was the Messiah, a prophet, a righteous man, and a human. He delivered God's message of repentance and the hope of inheriting everlasting life, even unto death. All of humanity must accept that God's true form is the everlasting Holy Spirit. All of this message comes from the everlasting Holy Spirit in the name of his Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ exists eternally with the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, but he is not God. For all who believe in the eternal truth, the last message presented here is that you will also exist eternally with the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. There is only one God, and Jesus Christ was a man. The oldest message from God to mankind has always been in Enoch's story, but mankind has not been able to understand it until now. This concludes the audio presentation of Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the book of Enoch the prophet. Today's date is September 22, 2023. It is my hope that by January of 2024, the final edited copy of this book will be made available on our website. Currently, the website is under construction and it does not yet have its own domain name. The proposed domain name for the website is polyatloshitpublishing.com. For those of you out there who do not know what this means, Polyatloshit is Russian for flying horse. If you have not read the book Debt 25, A Soldier's Story, then it might not make much sense. But in that story, the flying horse was a dream that represented faith, hope, and love. I want to encourage everyone out there to have faith, hope, and love because these are the greatest gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is not everybody who can prophesy or speak in tongues, but everyone can have faith, hope, and love. I also want everybody to know that when the time comes, I will ask for God's mercy for the innocent, the saints, and the elect, and all of those who truly believe in the eternal truth. Those who want to continue to believe in the Catholic lie, well, you're just going to be out of luck, because that blasphemy is going to condemn you to hell. Everyone who hears or reads this book will need to make a choice. 
if you want to believe in the eternal truth or a 2,000 year old lie, whatever it is that you choose will be your own fate and God will be the judge. Thank you for listening. I am Michael.